This teaching comes to you from the team at St. Mark's, Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. Good morning, everyone. The first Bible reading today is from Psalm 118, verses 14 to 29. The Lord is my strength and my might. He has become my salvation. There are glad songs of victory in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has punished me severely, but he did not give me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous to our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we beseech you, O Lord. O Lord, we beseech you, give us success. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has given us light. Bind the festal profession procession with branches up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, and I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I am Ben in heavy disguise. The second reading comes from the Gospel according to Mark, chapters 11, chapter 11, verses 1 to 11. When they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Just say this, the Lord needs it and will send it back here immediately. They went away and found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. As they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? They told him what Jesus had said, and they allowed them to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Then he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, 
As it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Hear the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your holy word. May it be a lantern to our feet, a light to our paths, and strength to our lives. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Now, welcome everyone. Uh, welcome those watching online as well. Um, now, you may notice a couple of changes from the program. That's the world we live in. Um, so, Michael Figuera was supposed to be preaching today. Uh, Dave, uh, David Crane is unwell, and Michael Figuera is also unwell, and Tim Escott has taken the youth group to Katoomba for a conference. So it's just me. But this is Michael Figuera's sermon, so we'll see how it goes. I want to begin by asking or putting the question out there, what do you hope for? What is your hope? On Easter Saturday, 774 AD, fresh from his victories in war, having conquered the Lombards in northern Italy, Charlemagne approached the great city of Rome for the first time. Charlemagne, the, the greatest general and emperor of his day. Riding on his mighty horse, he led an entourage of bishops, abbots, officials, dukes and counts, along with his mighty army. From Rome, Pope Adrian I, you didn't know there was a pope called Adrian, but there was, Adrian I sent all his officials to greet and welcome the king, some 50 kilometres north of the city. As they paraded towards the city, the entire ceremonial military guard lined the road. There were banners with crosses on them, but also symbolically, many young boys were carrying palm and olive branches while singing songs of acclamation. As he neared the Grand Basilica of St. Peter, he dismounted from his noble steed and walked, being hailed by the clergy and the people of Rome. And in a show of deference or Faux humility, you might say, he kissed the stony steps that led up to the church doors where the Pope awaited him. Inside, they held a service where they prayed to God, thanking God for so great a victory, and sung the Palm Sunday hymn, Benedictus, qui venit, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It seemed in that moment that Palm Sunday had been transformed. The triumphal entry of Christ into Jerusalem was reimagined. A donkey was replaced by a horse. A small motley crew of disciples composed of fishermen and tax collectors had been upgraded to a royal court and army. Yet equally, Charlemagne was to be crafted into the likeness of Christ and the city of Rome into Jerusalem. The Saviour had arrived. In a few decades, Charlemagne would be crowned the first Holy Roman Emperor through sheer force, and he would Christianize and subdue an area stretching the span of Western Europe, not always by the preaching of the gospel, but very often at the point of the sword. The grandeur, pomp and ceremony of Charlemagne's first triumphal entry into Rome was fitting for a man whose earthly power would be unrivaled in his day. But was he right? to blend military might and human power along with Christ's triumphal entry. Today, we celebrate Palm Sunday. It marks the beginning of what Christians call Holy Week, one of the, well, actually the most important week in the Christian calendar, culminating, as we know, in Good Friday and Easter Day. 
It's a time when we reflect on the hope that we have. But what kind of hope is it? Is it the hope for a Charlemagne? As Jesus entered into Jerusalem, what kind of triumph does he offer us? Is it like that emperor of old or something else entirely? Misunderstand this and we misunderstand everything that Christ stands for. So as we reflect on the first Palm Sunday, we may notice, we need to notice how surprising it was. It was a surprising entrance. Jesus gave very clear instructions, you might remember, about how he would enter the city. He gave it to his two, two of his disciples. You see that in verse 2. He says there, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you'll find there, tied there, a colt that's never been ridden. Untie it and, and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Just say this. Just say this. The Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here immediately. In the Gospel of Matthew... But we hear more specifically that this was the cult of a donkey. This is a small donkey. And sure enough, it's not even a very big donkey, is it? It's not, as donkeys go, this is not a powerful one. And sure enough, the disciples follow Jesus' instructions, and that's exactly what happened. The Lord needs this donkey to make his entrance. Now, if you wanted to make an entrance, how would you do it? If you want to make a grand entrance, if you want people to notice you, of course, you do something spectacular. Perhaps if you were Jesus, you would have chosen a, a, a mighty horse or a chariot or perhaps a limousine in our days, a stretch limo. I mean, we have brides arriving here at this church and, you know, being a little bit late, making everyone wait is part of the grandeur of the entrance, apparently. Please, if you're a bride here, do not be late. Um, Props to the bride yesterday, five minutes early. It was fantastic. Didn't have to send around the block, though. Um, but, you know, if you want to make a grand entrance, you kind of, you, you've got a dramatic vehicle, and you've got an entourage of people, and you've got music, you've got bells. That's how we know that the bride has arrived. If you want to make an impression of power and conquest, well, you're going to, you're going to do it with, with military accoutrements, aren't you? You're going to have weaponry and manpower. You can imagine, perhaps, how Vladimir Putin dreams of entering Kiev, flanked by tanks and columns of troops, and we pray, of course, that it never happens. But you can't imagine Putin on a donkey, or any other self-respecting world leader, for that matter. And yet Jesus gave clear instructions as his preferred mode of transportation as he planned his entrance into Jerusalem. Perhaps we've been a little bit unfair on donkeys. In the Bible, in the Old Testament, and also in the ancient Near East, there, they were, there was an association of donkeys with royalty. They weren't just the, the kind of the, the, the mode of transportation of the lower classes. Kings in the Old Testament did on occasion put themselves on the back of mules or donkeys. A thousand years earlier than Jesus, in fact, King Solomon would be declared the king of the nation of Israel as he rode on a donkey. It's not unknown for a king to ride a donkey then, but it's a definite statement, isn't it? To ride a donkey into your royal city is a gesture of peace, isn't it? It's a gesture of peacefulness, not of war. It's a gesture of reconciliation rather than of conquest. 
It's the complete opposite of Charlemagne. There's no posturing when you ride a donkey. I mean, when you ride a donkey, donkey kind of totters along, doesn't it? And you kind of wobble on. It's difficult to kind of look too dignified on the back of a donkey. And yet this was, in the heritage of King Solomon, a royal kingly act. But what did it say about what kind of king Jesus was going to be? Well, people had their expectations, didn't they? Up until this moment, Jesus had been going around the countryside. He'd been teaching and healing people, teaching with authority, not like the other teachers of his day, healing people from blindness and sickness and demon possession, raising the dead even, and drawing crowds. And crowds had followed him wherever he went. There were times when there were more than 5,000 people with him, and of course he fed them with a picnic basket. And this is all in our account that we have from Mark in Mark's Gospel. The people were obviously drawn to him. Here was someone who was seen as a teacher and a miracle worker and was a descendant of King David, one of the, well, the most important king of the Old Testament. And perhaps most radically, here was one who could be possibly the chosen one to liberate and save his people. He could be the Messiah, the Christ. I mean, he could teach and heal people. He seems to be incredibly powerful. He seems to have God with him. You see, at this time, as many of us know, Israel was under Roman occupation. Tiberius Caesar Augustus was the Roman emperor. The Jewish people were under Roman rule and they longed for God's promise of a Messiah, the anointed one, who would liberate them. He was seen as a military or political saviour, a king who would, by the edge of the sword, free his people and bring back their success, make Israel great again. They were longing for the hope of a Messiah who would deliver them. And so when Jesus arrives on the scene, is this what he's going to do? Overthrow Roman rule and bring peace to Israel? peace that had not been seen since the time of King Solomon a thousand years before. And as Jesus arrives in the great city of kings, riding on a donkey, people start to think, is this it? Is this the coming of our great king? The timing of Jesus' arrival added, uh, added further fuel to their expectations. It was Uh, the lead-up to the festival of unleavened bread, the most important festival in the Jewish calendar. We know that our Jewish neighbours celebrate Passover around about the same time that we celebrate Easter. And this meal, it celebrated God's deliverance uh, in the Exodus, uh, their deliverance from slavery uh, in Egypt and, and their creation as a nation, as the people of Israel. And at this time, Jewish pilgrims from all over the place would swamp the city of Jerusalem. The city of Jerusalem wasn't much bigger than Tamworth, to be honest. And, uh, you know, Tamworth has a festival. Um, It has the festival, the country music festival, and apparently it swells to about six times its normal size during that festival once a year. Likewise, Jerusalem swelled at this time to more than 200,000 people. And so the atmosphere is bustling with Jewish religious and nationalistic fervour. And it's into this throng that Jesus enters. 
Now, perhaps this figure would rally and unite the Jewish people. Perhaps he would be their champion. Perhaps he would establish an empire like that of Charlemagne. You see, until Jesus came into Jerusalem, the talk of being, him being king was just really all talk. It would be like someone saying, I'm the rightful Prime Minister of Australia, but that person just staying in Bega. Sorry to mention another country town. This is kind of a geography lesson of New South Wales. But they just stayed in Bega and never went to Canberra. There's nothing wrong with Bega. There's fine cheese there. But it's not the rightful place for a Prime Minister to exercise his or her duty. That's where the Parliament is, in Canberra. But to the Jewish hopeful, Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem is potentially a realisation of their longings that the Messiah is now here and will take over from the Romans, will finally liberate the Jewish people. So Jesus rides into Jerusalem. And from verse 8, we read about the scene. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. They were hailing the arrival of the king with branches. Uh, John's gospel is the one who tells us specifically that they were palm branches, which is why we call today Palm Sunday. And they cry out this, this strange word, strange to us, Hosanna, which means save Save now. This is the one who will establish the coming kingdom of David. This is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And they quote from the psalm that we had read for us from Psalm 118. And no doubt too, the prophecy of Zechariah from chapter 9 would also be on their minds. This marvelous prophecy, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a donkey, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So this was the moment. The Messiah who had come to save them from all that held them in the captivity, the Romans. Hosanna, here he is. Save us. The king has come to save. But what kind of saviour will he be? Have they got their hopes right? What was he going to save them from? You see, the crowd probably thought, and Jesus' enemies too, that Jesus was going to be some kind of political or nationalist leader, perhaps a social reformer, a revolutionary, or a populist leader. One that would champion the cause of the ordinary Jew. Someone who would, as I've said before, make Israel great again. Someone who would save them. His own followers kind of thought this too. Earlier in Mark's Gospel, in chapter 10, James and John came to Jesus and said to him, this is Mark chapter 10, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, let us sit on the right and the left hand in your glory of you. Let's be, let us be in your entourage, in the most prominent places. Let us rule with you when you sit in power, because we want a piece of it. Yet this was the exact opposite of what Jesus was intending. Jesus was not there to save them from Roman occupation, or to save them by military force, or to save them in some sense by worldly power. 
This is not what he came to do. Now, like the people of Jesus' day, we too can so easily misplace our hope. In, in what or in whom do you place your hope? In what political cause? In what leader? So often in this turbulent and chaotic world, this world that is beset by flood, fire, disease and war, we, our hope is that we will find human solutions that will cut through, usually political solutions that will just set things to rights. We just want the world ordered the way we want it ordered. We, we hope for someone who will decisively change things in the way we want them changed. In all the anxiety and confusion of our times, we want strong and decisive and powerful solutions. But what kind of hope does Jesus represent? Well, he said to James and John back in Mark chapter 10, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He told his disciples plainly what he, as king, had come to do a number of times. His fundamental mission was not conquest. This is a king who would be beaten and spat upon, tortured, have his body mangled and be displayed in full humiliation and shame on a wooden cross. This king would wear a crown of thorns. This king would be rejected by everyone. This king would be abandoned by his closest followers. This king is a king who would die as a ransom for many. And only after his death would he also then be the king who rose again from the dead. Is that your expectation of Jesus? Are we worshipping Jesus for who he is and not for who... We want him to be? Are we looking for a Charlemagne rather than the true Jesus? He didn't come to make our temporary existence just that little bit better. He didn't come to deliver us from our enemy, from our, our personal enemies and political enemies. He rather came to deliver us from the enemy that lurks within us all. And besets all of humankind. We may cry out, Hosanna. But if we're to mean it in the way Jesus meant it, we need to understand it as in the fullest, the fullest sense. The hope we need is a saviour who will save us from evil itself. Who will save us from our own sins and save us from the judgment on us that is surely coming. He will save us from the fundamental problem of the human condition. And Jesus gave his life as a ransom so that we can be saved and to be forgiven of our sins. It was Napoleon who was believed to have said this about Jesus. He said, I know men and I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander... Caesar, Charlemagne and I have founded empires. But on what did we rest the creation of our genius? Upon force, 
Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love. And at this hour, Napoleon said, millions of people would die for him. As we enter into Holy Week, this Palm Sunday ought to reorient us to the Easter message itself. We worship a servant king who lays down his life for us. He shows us in dying for us what we should hope for. It's also why we have themed our Easter, our Easter series, Love Starts Here. For love starts in the cross of Christ. He was willing from the love of God to go to the cross to save us. And it teaches us what to hope for. One day we will indeed be saved in full when we depart this life. It will be Hosanna indeed. We will be with people from all nations, people without number. And we will be waving our own palm branches. John, in his great book that finishes the Bible, the book of Revelation, he imagines the heavenly scene and he picks up the scene that we've heard today, the scene of Palm Sunday. And he says here, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and they were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And with that, we say, Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.